This time on Chew Diligence, Chef Katie McLean. They kept pushing me to the bakery and kept pushing me to pastry. And it was very frustrating for me to say, you know, hey, a woman can cook too. I can be on grill. Chef Shanita McAfee Bryant. I've had a double dose, right? You're a woman Mm -hmm. and you're a minority woman. So for me, I developed this hard, extra hard exterior. Owner of Sava, Caitlin Corcoran. It's a boys club, figure it out, but that's not the path that I want anyone else to have to go through. And Chef Lydia Bastianich. They would not entertain the fact of me, I guess, being a woman and applying for this loan until I brought my husband, my sixth sick husband along with me. Wow. Were you surprised by the allegations against Mario Batali? I was. I was uh, quite surprised. The Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that last year, less than 20% of America's chefs and head cooks were women, even though women make up 47% of the workforce. And at the Johnson County Community College, 43% of the students in their chef apprenticeship are women. So we asked four women tied to the Kansas City restaurant industry to share their stories about finding their place and where we go from here. And just to let you know, some of their stories may be adult in language or nature as part of this frank discussion on Chew Diligence. Welcome to episode two of Chew Diligence. Thanks for joining us. And yes, you can search us on iTunes now, right, Joe? Yeah, apparently people are doing it. They're downloading us. They're listening to us, Lindsay. It's so cool. We're so excited. Thank you for all of you who have already joined us. And we can't wait for the ride this is going to take in the future. Uh, So we thought, first, the food. Right, Jill? First, some food. We have to talk about some food. And we're both crazy Instagrammers, as is our next guest, but we'll get there in a minute. Um, And so, yeah, I was thinking about where have I gone this week? What's my best bite? And um, I actually went up to Fence Styles Winery, Mm. north of the city. Have you been up there, Lindsay? No, but your picture made me hungry and thirsty. Yeah. Well, it was great. Um, Local journalist Pete Doolin had invited me up there, and they were um, introducing their backpack red. And I got to meet their winemaker, who happens to be a woman, Shreedy Plimpton. Love it. Um, and so very, very fun. And, uh, you know, I did a little tasting, got to meet her, and then sat by a burbling brook kind of, well, fountain, I guess it was, um, on their back patio terrace. And just sat there with a girlfriend and Ate my way through a cheese and uh, crackers and a tomato salad with um, goat cheese. And, Can't go wrong. You know, it was a great Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Cheese <laughs> like is it. life, right? Uh, <laughs> it is. This week I've been meaning to make it to Sailor Jack's for a while, and I finally did. And I had a lobster roll in Kansas City. You know, I grew up here. You did mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't eat a lot of seafood all the time. It's not in my normal repertoire. So I really was excited with how fresh it was and loaded and overstuffed so sailor jack's lobster roll in westport got an a plus from me and lobster can be pricey so what's a sandwich like that running sandwich fries and coleslaw was 19 bucks oh that's reasonable yeah and especially i mean like the whole claw was in this thing oh nice right yeah you could see you could tell it just felt like fantastic i had a bunch of people going i didn't know where to get one of these here on my instagram 
There you go. There you go. I, I think we need to introduce our mystery voice here who's, yes. who's saying lobster roll. <laughs> <laughs> we have Caitlin Corcoran in here uh, talking to us about all things women in the industry, our first guest. Uh, and you are of Savah. Correct. Hi. Hi. My favorite place to celebrate things is Champagne Bar. Are you kidding? It's I lovely. Know. I can't wait to meet your little one, too. Oh. Like, Thank you. That's I why know. I haven't been in as often. It's okay. <laughs> we are a French place, though, so no judgment. Like, <laughs> come in for that, like, one glass of wine a week situation, you know? If you haven't had uh, Caitlin's <laughs> duck fat kettle corn. <laughs> quite addictive. On the patio with a glass of rosé or whatever. I will also say, I do think it helped Keely uh, Williams go into labor. So maybe, like, because <laughs> it was a little bit spicy. So, like, maybe, like, if you also need a little kickstart, yeah. you can come and brunch and uh, have some champagne and uh, <laughs> duck fat. I'm writing that down. Yeah. Take I will me, be doing that. Take me, I, and I'll drive you to the hospital and make the phone <laughs> That's call. That's right. Oh, I love it. Uh, so, uh, Caitlin's our first guest because she is about to do something so fantastic. She is one of the 2018 class of 20 Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Fellows, which, tell us a little bit about what this means. Um, well, I'm really excited to find out more myself in a couple weeks, but um, basically this is the second year James Beard's offered this program, and they choose women that own restaurants um, and kind of take them away from their daily lives for a week and teach them business and finance classes in the hopes of them growing their business or just, you know, reorganizing systems and being more efficient as an owner, uh, but also being a mentor for women in their community that maybe are interested in owning a restaurant but don't know how to get there. What I thought was so <laughs> fascinating is when the James Beard Foundation themselves, I mean, this program's only a couple years old, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when they say they established this because they want there to be a shift in the restaurant culture where everyone can thrive and having more women would do that, mm-hmm. meaning... They think it needs to shift, and for right. them to acknowledge that is big, right? Right, and I think if you look at the uh, award winners from the Foundation Awards last year, like you can tell that that was definitely on their agenda, was like not only promote women but also people of color. Um, and I think a big reason that they want to do this program is for a women business owner, it's harder to get loans. People aren't going to gamble on you. Even if you have the same exact resume as a white male, like, you're not going to get those same offers of investment, you know? So figuring out how to open a business is harder, and you have to have a different set of tools. Was that hard for you? Um, I'm very lucky, and actually, um, I got bought into the business. So Savah was six months old when I came on board. Okay. And we kind of, like, had to clean house a little bit and kind of refocus what the brand message was. Um, and then through some sweat equity, then I got percentage points. I'm, I'm curious... Um Generationally speaking, have you seen people? Um, you're you're young. Um, have you seen an older generation react to this Me Too movement in a really different way than you might be reacting to it? Definitely. I actually um, had a conversation with a former sous chef last week because um, she recently has been traveling and she's based out of Orcas Island now, but uh, she worked for a formidable chef in New Orleans, and she's over 40, which I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be ageist, I'm just going to preface that, (laughs) but uh, it definitely seemed like some of the harassment issues with women of a certain age, they're like, that's just kind of what happens in the restaurant. Like, they, like, kind of are, like... More accepted? More accepted and also kind of, like, toughen up, like, you know, and I feel like that's some of the things I've heard about April Bloomfield with... Her restaurant group and some maybe why she didn't take as seriously some of the allegations that have been happening 
four years uh, with Ken Friedman before it all broke recently. Um, but she was just like, that's what happens. You're like, you know, like, yeah, your ass gets grabbed. Yeah, I get slapped. But toughen up. Like, figure it out. Like, don't unpack that here. And it's like, no, that's actually not what should be happening. But also in restaurants, you know, longer hours, there's usually, like, libations involved, which lubricate situations differently. But, yeah, so I think sometimes women that have, like, kind of gone through the ranks and now are, like, on top of it, they're like, well, yeah, that's what you do. It's a boys' club. Figure it out. But that's not the path that I want anyone else to have to go through. It's really interesting. I was reading the New York Times and Kim Severson, um, food really great food journalist was writing about it and she was talking about Tracy Jardine mm-hmm. and she was talking about how when she first met her 10 years ago um, or somewhere, it was a long time ago, um, she was really, she heard a story and she's like, man, she's just a power girl. She just knows how mm-hmm. to change the situation and take control. Right. Um, I think they both look at it really differently now um, that everything's happening. And so I think that generational shift is, is very interesting mm-hmm. um, in that your generation's saying, oh, no, this is just not right, where I think Stops here. my generation might have said, get out of my way, right. but um, it didn't really call, it just got tougher, like put on armor and went to work and, and right. did it. And that's definitely a noble thing to do as well. Like, I don't mean to discredit any woman that has come before and not maybe took up this fight, but now there's enough conversation happening in this country specifically that it's like, well, yeah, like, let's make it better for the next path, you know, like... So I think that's exciting to be part of that movement also. And that's also why I'm excited about this program and, like, just the conversations that are going to arise because there's definitely a range of ages and diversity and also, like, regionality um, of women that are coming to this program. So just speaking about how everyone views it is going to be interesting because it's not going to be the same. But also I think the gender equality aspect is leveling leveling the playing field with business tools and, like, Mm. giving women access to some of these numbers and thinking about spreadsheets and, like, be more analytical in some of the hard behind-the-scenes, like, back-end stuff that maybe they're not usually privy to. Business acumen. Yeah, exactly. Well, and a lot of networking really Mm. helps. I I found in my profession that really helps. And so I'm wondering, um, I know that there's um, the women's hospitality organization Mm -hmm, starting. Are there other groups in town that are sort of addressing some of these issues on the local level for women? I don't know necessarily if they're like all hospitality focused, but I definitely think Moxa is a really awesome nonprofit that I am like a huge supporter of, both with financial dollars and also just like voice. Um, But it's the Metropolitan Organization to Counter Sexual Assault. It's like a very long title. Mox is way easier to say. Uh, But they started a program two years ago now that um, I kind of helped, or at least the initial conversations start with, but it's called Safe Bar, and it's training uh, bartenders and hospitality um, workers to understand like signs if someone is maybe on a bad date or... Just, like, how to, like, navigate harassment in a way that makes sense. And it's an interesting training because it's mostly conversation-based. So every one that I've been a part of has been different. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, you know, obviously involved in the Me Too discussion. But other than that, I think 
the USBG, the United uh, Bartenders Guild. I think that the national chapter has navigated some things maybe not the best uh, involving Me Too the past couple months, but the local level is always up for that conversation as well. And then another national organization that I'm recently a part of is called Women um, in Hospitality United, and it's based out of New York, um, but we're having our first event in September, and it's called the Solution Sprint. And so we're asking people to come up with ideas that we want answered, and they don't have to be navigated towards like just sexual harassment in the workplace, but also just like just like big topic issues that maybe women have a better way of answering hmm. and haven't been given that voice. And so in addition to people submitting ideas that we're going to be solving, we're also asking people to submit to be on the teams. And so we're going to have teams of five. And hopefully it won't just be um, servers and bartenders, but also people that have been in HR, maybe are lawyers or have been um, counselors or like how to figure out all of these um, solutions kind of more like homeopathically. Caitlin. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic, though. For I'm sure. sure they've put together a really good program. And thank yeah. you for being such a vocal activist. Uh, um, of course. Next, Chef Shanita McAfee Bryant joins us in studio. She won Food Network's Cutthroat Kitchen and is the executive chef of the Magnolia brand here in KC. Tell us a little bit about getting into the kitchen. We, we were wanting to talk about the issue of... Um, me too. What's going on? Uh, a lot of culinary folks have been called out recently yeah. for bad behavior. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little bit about your journey. What was that so, like? so, so funny that you brought that up because when the first allegation came with a non-food person, I was watching, my husband loves to have MSNBC on constantly and I was like, man, if they hit the culinary industry, it's going to shake it to its core. And he was like, really? I was like, definitely. So, um, and then yesterday I saw this article, maybe it was the post about African-American chefs just feeling like they have to do the most or avoid Southern food to be, to gain the notoriety that their contemporaries gain. And so it got me to thinking just about my journey. And I feel like I've, I've had a double dose, right? You're a woman mm-hmm. and you're a minority woman. So for me, I developed this hard, extra hard exterior because otherwise I was going to get boxed into dessert. I actually worked at a place that was like, you can work the salad at the dessert station and then we'll just help you fill out your logbook. Because as an apprentice, you have to fill out a logbook and show that you've mastered, you know, certain skills along the way because at the end of this process there's a final exam where you have to demonstrate that you actually did it, not that you stood there and observed while someone signed off on the paper saying that you did it. So obviously I left that place, but it's it's been a just a journey of, you know, having this do not F with me exterior to kind of push that off. Again, knowing how to give it as good as I could take it, you know what I mean? Like, I, you're not going to talk to me because I'm probably going to hurt your feelings while you were trying to make a crude joke to, joke to me. But it's not. It's, in some places, it's just not a comfortable environment to be in. And in my apprenticeship, I I left places because it was uncomfortable, and those would be the reasons why people feel that it's appropriate to verbally or physically sexually harass you and you know think that they can touch you or make jokes about your anatomy or your pants because you know now you guys see the cute women's chef clothes but 20 years ago you were wearing men's 
hands are just trying to do the best we could with making a man's outfit fit us properly. Yeah, we talked earlier about this statistic. This is from USA Today. Bureau of Labor Statistics said only 19.7% of restaurant kitchens are run by women. Does that surprise you? No, because our place is in the kitchen at home, not at work. There are several, um, and I don't know, back when I was an apprentice, there were several local restaurant groups that had never had a female chef in one of their kitchens. This is in 2000. Oh in gosh. 2000, you've never had a female executive chef? That disconnect is really interesting because women are known as the cooks at home. Mm-hmm. But then we go to the professional kitchen and what do we see? A predominance of men. Explain to me what... It's frustrating. What, what, what is causing that? Why are women not rising to the top? I mean, I'm... There are some that have, but... The compromises that you have to make, some people just say it's just not worth it. So, Chef, when you're the head of your kitchen, what is it like? The boy is always trying to tell me what to do. I'm like, okay, that's good. But, however, you're not Magnolia's. Your name's not on this lease. So, if you'd like to call the shots, we can call the landlord now and we can, you know, I can swap it out and you can be in charge. But if not, I'm in charge. So, and that's the part that I don't like is that you have to be such a, I don't know if you can swear, but you know what I mean. We'll say princess because I have that tattooed on myself. And that sometimes you just get tired of that. And what I was telling you before, that that princessiness spills over into your off-work relationships, which is why most of us, like I know a lot of female chefs who have been married three, four, five times or just not at all, just because it's hard to turn that on and turn that off. Now, my kids joke. Because if I'm being Chef Shanita, they'll say that at home. Okay, Chef. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Let me reel that on back in. I'm not being mom. <laughs> I'm being Chef. <laughs> like, stop it. What is that? Does, is, does Chef Shanita have to put on a guard? Chef Shanita is not a very nice person. She's firm and just sometimes not nice. Can I ask you, you're not the first chef to tell us that they felt as a woman pushed to pastry. Which oh, God. Sh- that shocked me. Yes. Yeah. What is it about that? Why? Because they don't want to make desserts because you have to think to make a dessert and you can't fudge it. You actually have to follow the directions on some things. It's chemistry. It's basically chemistry and it takes a lot of finessing and thought. Now, I do know some amazing male pastry chefs, not to say that they can't do it, but it does take a different skill set. When you are on the hot side, that's the cold side, when you're on the hot side, it's organic, right? You can flow with it and be a little bit more loose with, with your creation. But when you're baking, pie crust is pie crust. There's there's no getting loosey-goosey with that. You can. It's probably not going to come out the way you'd like for it to. There's just certain fundamentals with the, with baking that you pretty much just have to stick, stick to. You can change things, but not really. I guess if I had to ask you a final question, where do we go from here? I don't know. I think we all just need to keep pushing we need to keep supporting each other I try to any school that asks me to come and talk to the students I do any school that wants me to come and give a demonstration I do you know in the last administration they had a um, chefs get out in the school day I, I did that you know unfortunately we don't have that anymore but you know I just try to encourage my fellow culinarians to encourage their younger the next generation to one get your education because a lot of that starts in the school systems and the way that they're set up so you got to go get your education first of all two we all have to support each other and you have to pull someone else up and bring someone else with you 
Shanita, it's been wonderful to talk with you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing so much about your personal journey. Thank you, guys. Thank you. After our first episode, we asked Chef Katie McLean to weigh in on her experience becoming a chef. You can find her Scandinavian restaurant Krokstrom in Midtown and the soon-to-be-opened Vilhast in Parlor, Casey's newest food hall. Feast Magazine also just named her Casey's Chef of the Year. Chef Katie, uh, have you had any experiences in your course of becoming a chef as a woman that have been frustrating or odd or anything like that? Absolutely. My first kitchen experience, I was 14. My cousin was a chef, and I was obsessed with it. I wanted to be just like him, and I begged to come and work in the restaurant. And, of course, being a young girl, they're like, oh, you can't be in the kitchen. Be a host. And it's always a starting spot for a lot of young women. And I was terrible, so they turned me into a food runner, and they were like, go to the tables, you know, run food. And eventually they're like, fine, do salads. And it's always a starting spot, you know, a young chef of any kind, you know, it's start off on that charcuterie section, but they kept pushing me to the bakery and kept pushing me to pastry. And it was very frustrating for me to say, you know, hey, a woman can cook too. I can be on grill. And they would throw me over there to watch me burn and fail. And I kept just pushing and trying and, you know, never let anybody see me cry. And it's impossible. And you just have to get tough. And it, it changed me from, a really sweet, innocent young kid into a very tough young man. And um, it's created a lot of masculinity in me. And as a, a restaurant owner now, I constantly hire young women with very little experience because I want to teach them that you don't have to become a man to work in a kitchen. You just have to be a strong, independent person. And I just really push every day to say, you know, I was lucky enough and strong enough of a person to endure that, but not everybody has been. And a lot of people get kicked down and have a hard time raising themselves back up from being kicked down. And um, I want to be an advocate that I am a safe place and I want to be that mama bird for everybody. And to that effect, you recently started an organization here in town, right? Yeah. um, Ten years ago, um, Chef Jennifer Maloney was a huge inspiration for me. She and I worked at the Classic Cup way forever ago. And to see such another strong woman be a trailblazer and such an inspiration in this town, I I wanted to reach out to her and say, hey, how can somebody like you influence me and how can I influence other young women? And she's like, we need to create something. We need to have a safe place or a safe organization. And so we, we talked about it for a year. And when she passed, I, I was lost and devastated And I thought, how can I still do our plan and our goal? And I finally just sat down and created a Facebook group. And it's the the Women's Hospitality Organization. I didn't want it to just be women chefs. I wanted it to be front of house, wine vendors, liquor reps, farmers, um, you name it, every aspect of the hospitality industry. And we have meetings. It started off kind of small. I I bit off more than I could chew, I think, but we're getting there and building up. And, you know, the first few meetings were just sharing our experiences and, and some are crying, some are yelling and angry and just having a safe place to, to tell your story. And now we're working together and having these collaboration dinners and events and, hey, I need help at my restaurant or I'm opening something new and there's job opportunities for each of us. And I just wanted to have something where we can, who knows what it'll grow to. I hope it's something really spectacular, but at least lay the groundwork for a place for us. And um, I've been to one of the meetings and, uh, you know, 
keep up on the Facebook group. And of course, I think you guys are are finding your way. But once you find your focus, uh, what a force to be reckoned with. It's going to be really fun to see you guys get out there and decide what it is you want to be. That's the hardest part. We want to be a thousand things. And (laughs) all of us women are so uh, multi-talented in the group. We each have our own kind of passion. I think I need to have some subgroups set up. Well, and super, (laughs) super passionate, um, you know, and opinionated. So you you guys can go a lot of different directions. I know I've been talking to you about some of the things you might be able to do at Powell Gardens and other things I'm involved with. And, um, you know, I see tons of potential here. It's a great group, and I think it's a good interaction, and I'm anxious to see what you guys decide to do with it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now we want to bring in a woman who needs no introduction in the culinary world, but we will do our best. Lydia Bastianich, renowned chef, cookbook author, TV host, restaurants around the country, including Kansas City's own delicious Lydia's in the Freight House District. Lydia, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. My pleasure. Buongiorno. Good morning. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Well, Lydia, you and I have been friends for a while. This is not our first meeting, maybe our first podcast, though. And we're really thrilled. We're thrilled to have you. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. You know, I just recently interviewed you to talk about your autobiography, An American Dream. And one of the sections there really caught my attention. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it again. And that's the section where you're trying to start Felidia. And you, you have a little bit of a problem with the bank. And I wonder if you could tell us that story in light of we've been talking on this podcast a little bit about um, some of the obstacles women have gone through and um, the current Me Too movement. So take us back to when you were trying to open your restaurant and what happened then. Well, we opened our first restaurant in 1971, and that was in the suburbs of uh, New York. And then in uh, around 80, 81, we decided to sell. By then we had two restaurants and opened Philadelphia. So Lydia was on 58th Street, it still is, 58th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, Manhattan. And it was kind of a big game, you know. We we had a, a brownstone, we bought the brownstone, we were going to fix it up into a cute restaurant just like they have in Italy. But, you know, uh, uh, surprises as you, as you do construction. Uh, the brownstone was an old one, and it needed, after we got into it and after we made our budget, and after we sort of were keeping in our budget, we went way off budget because the whole brownstone needed underpinning, and that's a big job and a lot of money. And so, you know, we were out of money. We sold those two restaurants. All the money we made, we invested in Philidia, collected all our savings, borrowed from my mother, whatever you have, you know, and, uh, and still we were at the edge of thinking. And uh, so, you know, the institutions were the only ones that were left. And, uh, you know, restaurants uh, are not a good bet for banks as it is. But at that time, uh, going through this, uh, my husband got got ill. And uh, so I was kind of carrying on all of this. Mm. And I, you know, one of the, the, the problems that I found in support and finances was really the institutions because I went to the banks, different banks, and I proposed, and I showed them all our plan, and you know our winning track records for the past ten years with two restaurants and whatever. But you know, 
they would not entertain the fact of me, I guess, being a woman and applying for this loan until I brought my husband, my sick, sick husband, along with me. Wow. And once, once you know, he was there and uh, we both kind of signed. He would have signed anyway, just that they needed to see him for some reason. And, you know, so that was my kind of uh, uh, one of the first encounters. And, you know, as a woman in the industry, uh, I, you know, I've been in a family business with my husband. And somewhat, you know, I felt protected. I never felt any major uh, kind of uh, Me Too movements that are happening now uh, in the sense of, of being uh, harassed. Uh, but I did feel this, this kind of harassment where I wasn't appreciated or respected for my profession as a woman by the institutions. And I think that to some extent still goes on. I know that you started as a hostess in your restaurant. Was it difficult to get back in the kitchen or did you experience something different? Well, the kitchen was, you know, was a male domain uh, at that point. But for me, being, you know, a woman and being Italian, uh, the kitchen was quite comfortable. You know, in Italy, women are in the kitchen. In the restaurants, especially if you go, uh, even now you travel through the, the, the sort of familiar restaurants, fattorias and good restaurants in the cities, a lot of women are in the kitchen. And the men are usually outside hosting. And so, so you know, I, you know, I didn't uh, take it, uh, you know, as oh, that's not my place. Mm. Uh, and besides, as I said before, you know, this was a family business. So for me to get in the kitchen, we did hire professional men chefs from the beginning, because that was, that was what was out there. And then I became their sous chef, and uh, you know, worked with them and practiced with them. Uh, and uh, did I feel comfortable in the kitchen? And again, you know, being one of the owners, I guess I had an advantage. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, at that time, there weren't too many men, uh, women in the kitchen. Well, and today there are more. But I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of uh, what kind of mentorship is going on out there. I know you've been part of Les Dames. You've been a part of other organizations that have tried to help women um, in a leadership role in the hospitality industry. Tell us a little bit about that. As women, and I tell them, I said, you know, don't focus on the gender. Focus on your position, on your profession. Be good. Be the best that you can at what you do. Invest in yourself, in your integrity, in your knowledge, in your because knowledge and, and position, and that is power. When you go out into the kitchen and when you can command a dish better than anybody else, any male in that kitchen. That's power. So, you know, I think as women, we really need to uh, uh, focus, be the best that we can, invest in ourselves, and, uh, you know, uh, not to, not sort of kind of be afraid of the gender. Just forget about the gender. You know, I was just a little bit, I was able to read about your interactions with Julia Child uh, as, a, as she was a woman in the industry, and I had heard that she kind of led you to the TV scene. How important do you think it is for women to lift up other women in the industry? Uh, it is very important, uh, you know, because I think uh, you, we open doors. We open doors, and then other women follow. And certainly for me, uh, Julia Child opened the door to the TV media. And ultimately, she asked me to come on her show. And I guess, you know, that brought me to the attention of producers. And one of them says, hey, Lydia, how about a show of your own? And she encouraged me all the way. 
And you know, Lydia, I know you're one of the faces of such a large organization. And I've heard you say that when you've seen wrongdoings, you've done your best to try to correct them. And this is something that has even touched part of your company as well. When you are part of something so large, how do you try to impact the culture down to every worker to make sure that people feel safe and protected? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's a responsibility that you have to take very seriously. And, you know, you can't do it single-handedly. It's a philosophy of running uh, a business or, or running uh, an office. So it's, you know, building teams of conscious people that will reflect the philosophy of what you do. And sometimes it, it slips uh, through the cracks, you know. When, when you have a company, you, you just, you know, don't see everything that happens. And, you know, certainly we are paying much more attention, much closer attention, and ever more working on a, on a philosophy of running a company that reflects all those values and that pays attention to those mishaps that can happen. Lydia, I'm wondering if you've done it. Can you give us any specific steps that you've taken in order to change the culture within your very large restaurant empire? You know, extraordinary. We, we, we you know, increased the, 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 the meetings on the subject within each unit. You know, as a whole, we have uh, taken on uh, the, the um, uh, our, our uh, Department of Human Resources and looked at every value that we have and, you know, what could we miss, what are we going to add, and from then on made it very accessible. And we hired outside also uh, advisors that, you know, if people feel that they, they cannot go to an insider, they can go to an outsider. You know, you have to have an open door of conversation. Uh, uh, we did that on top of, of that, you know, older managers, we, we, we had regular meetings and, and, you know, getting rid of of real offenders, you know, we we, we just uh, uh, some of them, you know, we did along the way because as soon as uh, we found out along the way, even before all this movement, if anybody that we found out was 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 uh, uh, you know uh, doing uh, anything wrong, we would fire them certainly, and we did along the way. And you right. you had a very high profile chef, Mario Batali, right. who is. I believe, no longer working with the company? Yeah, he's, he's out of the company. We're, I think, just uh, signing the contract where he's completely out of the company. We're taking over the company. And uh, we are working with each individual restaurant. The chefs, you know, we have uh, fantastic women chefs. I mean, our Del Posto, uh, the, the one-star Michelin uh, uh, Italian restaurant in New York, the chef is a woman. And she is just wonderful. And, you know, I work with her on a regular basis. And so we are encouraging uh, each individual chef and giving them uh, the chef and its team to, to, to kind of redo the restaurants and give it that kind of, I want to really be here and work with this team because it's a great team. And that's, you know, we're going to do that individually. We are doing it with each of our restaurants. Uh, you know, we have, uh, as our partner, Nancy Silverton, it's another woman. So there's a lot of women in, you know, our company is certainly women open and women run if you want, if you want to a certain extent. And Lydia, for someone who's so geared towards encouraging others and has been encouraged herself, just to go back quickly to that, were you surprised by the allegations against Mario Batali? 
I was. I was uh, uh, quite surprised, you know. Uh, it's not that uh, we, 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 you know, I socialized with him uh, because, you know, we're, we're separate individuals and separate philosophers. So, so I, you know, we went out to dinners, but I was never in a situation where he behaved like that, maybe out of respect to me. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't get any complaints directly. It, 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 kind, of, it kind of came as a surprise to me. Mm. Even though, you know, he, that's his character is Mario's character is Mario's character. He was a lively, lively character. And, you know, that was at, at, at some point, I guess, that was part of, uh, uh, you know, why he was who he was. But, no, I was, I was not really aware of what, what he was up to behind the scenes. And I think going forward, um, what would you? I know a lot of diners are trying to figure out, you know, should I patronize certain restaurants? Should I keep the cookbooks um, on the shelf? How do we, as a as a community, a dining community, approach this? And do you have any any tips for us? You on? know, uh, I you know, I think that's that's uh, um, uh, an individual. I think you know, we all want to contribute to resolving this matter in the industry. Whether you are a customer or you are an employer or an owner, you know, uh, this is. Uh, uh, a cancer in our industry. We need to eradicate it. We need to move on. And with it. so, I think that each part of the industry, whether you're a customer, whether you are a worker, or whatever, needs to address the issue, uh, how they feel about it. But you know, we need to address the issue. Lydia, thank you so much for such yes. a an honest and wonderful um, talk. I really, we really do appreciate it. From one of the titans okay. of the culinary world, truly, Lydia. Great to talk to you today. Wonderful. Thank to you, have ladies, you. and much success with the Casta uh, Fast podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lydia. Bye bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of Chew Diligence. I think hearing from those four women, Jill, you and I were talking, they all told such different perspectives about the same interesting thing. I, I think we really did get to go deep there with lots of different personalities. Um, Lots of different life experiences mm-hmm. and lots of different goals. But the end goal is to get people in their seats in their restaurants and and make them happy. So good if the behind the scenes is working just as well as the front of the front of the house there. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, next week we have a really exciting guest coming on, or next episode, I should say. I'm, yeah, I'm real psyched about this. This is Jonathan Justice. Is going. We're going to do like kind of a little profile edition. Um, Jonathan had the Justice Drugstore in Smithville, which got national attention for several years. Then he went on to Black Dirt in Kansas City very recently, um, which I was able to cover, and that was very exciting to see him open a restaurant right here in Kansas City. Meanwhile, he's closed down Justice. Um, So we're just going to talk to him about all kinds of different business deals that he's working on, different things he might be thinking of for the future and we might even tell some old stories because Hmm. i've known jonathan for a long time one of them might even involve roasting a woodchuck (laughs) and revenge there you go (laughs) revenge is best served as a woodchuck (laughs) there's your tease and for all of you who are just devastated like me that justice drugstore is no more we're going to try to get a scoop for you yes let's find out what's happening next next on chew diligence 